0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: yo yo when i spit bars in a ring i gonna go hard
2: last
0: time
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cop and Fracas, powered by Tussle Media Group. I am your host, Chris. Uh, before we do get stuck in today's pod, I just want to kind of do a little bit of a little bit of a read from our partners over a fan slide. So this episode of Cop and Fracas is proudly sponsored by our partners over a fan slide. That's right, fan slide is back empowering your fancy football experience for this summer's Euros. What on earth is fan slide? Uh, newer listeners are asking. Well. Fanslide is the world's first live and in-play fantasy football game. With no long-term commitment, you can play in one-off matches that you'll be watching live with real-time updates supported by the good people at Opta. Slide plays in and out whenever you think a strong 15 minutes on the cards and earn those points. But most importantly, get them on in the key moments of the game so you can beat your mates and claim the, bagging, the, the bragging rights in your group chat. I had a very good one yesterday when I had um, Benzema locked in for when he scored both of those goals in the France game. So I was very happy at that. Still didn't finish in the money places, but, you know, we, we take the small victories where we can. It happens, um, happens too much. Like uh, you, you think you've got like a genius masterclass stroke and then you just see someone who's got double the amount of points that you do at the top and you're thinking, ah, fair yeah. enough. Someone's been looking at the spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> um You know, it's it's just just a fantastic experience. And, you know, Fanslide have been generous enough to give a massive win-win situation. So if you refer a friend on through the app to Fanslide and, and they win a money prize, you will get, they will match the amount of money that they made in that game. So it's a win-win for everyone. So the more people you invite, the more chances you get to match that money. And of course, search for Touchline Fracas in the app and add us as a friend for some exciting developments later on in the competition as well. So do head over to the App Store and download Fanslide today. Fanslide, don't just watch the game, play the game. Um, let's get stuck into the pod. I'm joined by regulars Mike and Fahi. Gentlemen, how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Chris, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well.
2: I'm excited, Bye. man. I'm excited. We've got we've got a good friend with the pod on. Someone, so, so he was our first guest of the pod last year, and yeah. it was thanks to this individual that we then started getting more guests on. We used his episode as the benchmark. We use it as a reference point, and then we started getting people like Emil Heskey on. So it was
3: all thanks to this person who you're going to introduce. And that person, indeed, as you can see on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, is the fantastic James Pierce of the Athletic, James thank you for joining us and how are you doing today
0: yeah i'm very good thanks guys you all okay
1: yeah fantastic
3: very well thank you very well um let's just get let's let's guess let's get into it um, james uh, you know last season was just an incredible year incredibly weird year for you know just reporting on everything really so how did it feel for you covering LFC during this you know incredibly odd season there was you know a lot of highs and then a lot of lows super leagues and all so how did it all feel kind of covering the amount of stuff that went on in that short period of time?
0: Yeah it was just a an absolutely crazy season wasn't it on on so many levels I think it it felt like such a long season as well like so much so much kind of happened and I think it was like quite draining and like, you know, just, just to, just to report on. So God knows what it was like to try and play and and manage through that. I think, um, you know, it's not proper football. Is it football behind closed doors? I think by the end of the season, we were all absolutely sick of it. Um, You know, the, the saving grace was that Liverpool dug so deep and managed to salvage something really, really important from a season that, well, looked like it had completely gone off the rails and was, and was beyond repair at one point. So, um, so, yeah, like, you know, like almost it's, it's hard to believe now, but, you know, the first half of the season where despite all the adversity of the injuries, especially losing Van Dijk and Gomez, you've still got a situation where Liverpool are top going into the new year and you're thinking, you know, more, you know just maybe they could retain the title and we were all saying how open the race was going to be. And then, you know, then obviously, you know, the, the wheels came off so spectacularly and, um, you know, and City obviously had an absolute procession in the end. And, but, yeah, after that kind of bleak kind of middle third, just a really, a, a, really, you, know, a you know, a really spirited final third of the season when, you know, in a lot of players, some kind of unlikely heroes stood up and, and delivered. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, some people probably questioned it a bit when they heard Klopp say, you know, to finish third was up there with like his biggest achievements. But I, I think he was right because, yeah, of course, at the start of the season, nobody would have settled for third. But when you think about everything that went wrong, um, I, I think it was a remarkable effort to, to to get there in the end.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, when you look at it the squad that he was working with towards the end of the season, it was basically just like the members of the A team, really, you, who were going out week in, week out. Um, so that was just interesting to see. I actually want to get your kind of point of view from, I mean, It must have been weird for the players, first and foremost, kind of having some people in the stadium, then going back to empty grounds, but then having that little bit of a big let-off with the last game of the season for Crystal Palace. How is it for you, covering it as, as a journalist inside the grounds? I mean, obviously you said from earlier on, kind of football without fans in the stadium is a bit of a life, is a soulless experience. you know, we definitely saw that, uh, you know, with weird pumping crowd noise, delayed soundboards and whatnot. So so how was it, how was it for you kind of covering that in, in, in the stadiums just without any noise whatsoever, really?
0: Yeah, it was, it was pretty dull and soulless, to be honest. It, It felt like a lot of the time you were watching kind of glorified training sessions rather than, you know, elite sport at the, at the highest level, because, um, you know the way that it worked with COVID is they allowed they allowed the written media in, but only a, a you know a, a much reduced number. So where where before there might have been a couple of us from the Athletic going to every game, suddenly it was only one. So it tended to mean that I only did all the home games, and then occasionally you'd get an away ground that would would let us have two passes. But usually, if it was only one, then the Athletics home reporter would go. So and it was it was crazy watching some of the games with the fake crowd noise and everything. And having been at say the previous game, and and just I think it, it, with, with the fake noise being pumped in, it gave you a very kind of false picture of what it was actually like in terms of you know it was just it was just eerie being able to hear, hear every word that you know was said in terms of between the players, between the manager and the players, and the coaching staff, and all the rest of it. And and I, and I know from speaking to various players about it, they they found it really really tough. And I think it was the kind of thing that. No one really wanted to go on the record and speak about too much because then, when things go wrong, you immediately get accused of, "Oh, you're, you're, you're looking for excuses." You know, you're, you know, you're a multi-millionaire. You should be, you know, what, should you know, the, you should be motivated enough. But a couple of them said that it was hard. They found it really, really hard because suddenly everything had to come from within you. went where, where before they were so used to walking out of Anfield and feeding off that energy from the stands, suddenly when that wasn't there, and I think. I think probably that they really missed that more than ever during that dreadful run. What was it probably from you know, January through to March when there were those six straight home defeats? And and sometimes I'd be sat there watching the games, looking around at you know, surrounded by 54,000 empty seats and thinking, God, you know, this game would not be going the way it is if this, this ground was full because a number of times that games just drifted and there was no real intensity and tempo. And that that's when suddenly... The backing of the fans kicks it kicks in usually, and and helps set the tone for what happens on the pitch. So, um, yeah, you know, I used to get a lot of people come up to me and say, kind of, oh, you're so lucky, the fact that you still get to go to the games. And I, I felt a little bit ungrateful, really, because it, it I, w- I was thinking, really, I don't feel that lucky because it, it's not actually that enjoyable. You know, I think it just rammed home that, you know, you everything you enjoy about going to the game. You know, it was suddenly taken away in terms of all the atmosphere around it and the buzz outside the ground and the buzz afterwards, and going to meet people maybe in a pub down the road after you finished your work and all, everything, all of that. T- when all of that was taken away, it was, um yeah, I, th- I think it was a, a season to kind of just be endured, really.
3: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the one thing we do forget that, you know, the footballers at the end of the day, that they are entertainers. They do feed off that, off that roar of the crowd, you know, let's say when Alison makes a good save, he feeds off that When Firmino pulls off a good piece of skill. They're, they're showmen. They, they, they live for that moment and not having that in front of them, is definitely going to affect their jobs. Um, Let's move on. Let's move on before we talk about a little bit of Liverpool business because obviously, James, you probably get hounded about this every single day, every single moment on Twitter about who is coming in and who's leaving. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about that Euros, to be fair. And you know, I made it a little bit clear at the beginning of the competition that I didn't even really know who qualified, in all honesty. I had to double yeah. check just because obviously we've been delayed uh, and whatnot. So Fahi, I'll come to you first. You're 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 a bit of a you're a bit of a free lions, free lions on your shirt. Um I'm person.
2: not no 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 I can't Chris don't <laughs> <laughs> if, if don't do this. You know, you know how it is. I, I literally only support four players, five at max, including Henderson, that's it. Um I, I'm only back in England purely because he he decided to take the players that I wanted to go. So Foden, <laughs> Sancho, Grealish, Trent originally, etc. etc. Yeah. I cetera. Th- I thought they were doing it for El Tal, though. I mean Yeah, they are doing it for Terry Venables as well, man. 25 years <laughs> of month, the day. Listen, they made an anthem twenty-five years ago, and you know it needs a positive conclusion, a happy conclusion. And I, I, th- I think we will do Germany over, um, but it's not three lions; it's Greener FC. That's the only reason I'm there.
3: <laughs> Fair play, Michael. Come to you. Um, how have you been enjoying the product that we that we've seen on display? I mean, I think it tailed off a little bit in the group stages, but my word, we were talking about it a little bit earlier on uh, with the knockout games that we saw last night. Um, that's what it, that's what it's all about knockout football, it's those moments that keep us hooked and, and, and enthralled.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I actually enjoyed like the group stage a lot more than maybe others did. I thought there were some good games. Listen, it's not the same as other tournaments. Like I think 2014 World Cup and 2018 World Cup were both exceptional tournaments. But the group stage was still gripping. I do think the weird format of like a team can win their last game, lose their first two and go through on three points is weird. It does kind of spoil the group stage a bit, but It was good, but yesterday, I mean, just wow. Like, the knockout stage has been just exceptional. We saw... I actually think when you look at, like, knockout competitions, yesterday might have been the best ever kind of collections of knockout games you've had on the same day ever. Like, when have we ever seen, like, two free-free games going to extra time, all the drama that comes after extra time in the Spain game, and obviously the penalty shootout in the France game, it was just exceptional. Like, I think the the tournament has really kicked into another gear with, with knockouts. I, I fear tonight might be one of those where we come crashing back down to earth because I, I don't expect yeah, I England about. Germany to be an interesting game. at all. I think there'll be a tension there that makes it interesting and you might want to watch it for that reason. But I'm not, it's not going to be a free-free, a end-to-end basketball-type game. It's going to be a very tense, cagey affair and it could go to penalties. So it's been good so far and it's picking up, but let's uh, temper our expectations ahead of tonight's game. <laughs>
3: I definitely think Gareth Southgate saw the defensive instability of the Spain team and thought absolutely not. We'll be having none of that. Um, <laughs> I think just, just just tournament football is just it swings and roundabouts sometimes, and no person signifies that more than Alvaro Morata. You see him, you know, does every single thing right that you probably want from a striker. and put the ball in the back of the net, and then when he does, it's one of the better goals that you'll see from from, from throughout the tournament. So it's just it's it's just what can it I, is, can, really.
1: Can I just say I got, with Spain? How is Thiago not starting for Spain? Like I'm, I look at the midfield on paper yesterday. I mean, Busquets has to start. He's probably still is one of the best holding midfielders in the world. Pedri, I can understand. Koke, I don't watch much of, but he can't be better than Thiago. I just find it mad that Thiago's is just not like one of the first names in the sheet, especially given the fact that they, ha- they haven't got like a plethora of world class players and like he's sitting on the bench not getting any minutes. It's it's a it's a baffling one to me.
3: I think we might see Thiago come in after Pedri's uh, back pass yesterday. That was <laughs> that was something else. I, I don't know if Unai Simon has got some. Someone's got his family hostage about letting that goal in. But good lord, um, <laughs> definitely match fixing going on there. Uh, James, I'm going to come to you on this. Uh, you, you had a really good interview with, with, with Trent kind of um, towards the end of May, and you know you were discussing um, a lot of the discourse around him not being potentially called up for England. You know, in, in your opinion, you kind of look at that. What was just beyond baffling discourse about whether his performances warranted being in on the England squad? What, 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 what was your kind of like feeling and just, just, just general opinion of that? Really, because I mean, we we see him play week in, week out, and we saw the absolute fantastic progression that he had from let's say around about late February towards the end of the season, where he was one of Liverpool's better players.
0: Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I I couldn't, you know, going back to. To March was it when he was dropped from that squad? You know, I, when 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 the squad emerged, I just assumed oh he's obviously got a knock. You know, he's obviously or a, a deal has been done. I think a lot of people probably thought. You know, I had people when I said he'd been left out. I had people telling me oh no no on social media. You no, know, Clock would have spoken to Southgate. There will be an agreement that he just needs a rest. And, and and I thought oh you know do you know what I bet you know I'll double check because yeah that. You know you, that's not beyond the realms of possibility, and you know, the message back from people I spoke to at Liverpool was very clear that no, 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 you know, there was no conversation, no agreement, you no, know, he, he has been dropped, and we can't quite fathom it. And, um, yeah, I just, I mean, but then I, I couldn't understand it, and then but I think when you've watched if you've watched England in the Euros so far, you can kind of understand it just because the Southgate doesn't allow his fullbacks to attack, do they? they're, they're so like. You know, I, I like Rhys James. I don't I don't think, I think you can admire Rhys James without that being any kind of slight on Trent. I think England are blessed to have a ridiculous number of good options at, at right-back. But it, the, um, you know, and, and I think that was, you know, Southgate just is so obsessed with the defensive side of the game that, you know, where I think with Klopp, it's very much, you know, Klopp loves to take risks. It's ambitious, it's expansive, it's you know go and do your thing. yes, there might be some space left in behind that will be exposed at times, but you know what you give us so much going forward that the risk is worth taking whilst I just think the flip side is that Southgate is absolutely risk adverse. Um, and I think you know probably with the squads being extended from 23 to 26, I think that probably initially saved Southgate you know the the kind of uproar that would have that would have accompanied Trent being left out of the squad. Because um, you know he then was able to find room for him, and then, of course, you know the really unfortunate injury that that left Trent devastated. But um, yeah, I, yeah, it, it just, but it, it, I think it's a very difficult one to to get your head around because t- to me, like Trent Alexander Arnold is an absolute generational talent. I just think you know he is, he like you know not only is he England's best right back, he's probably the best right back in Europe. And and, and yet, of course, there's occasional defensive lapses. But when you look at the unbelievable quality that he provides, I mean, you you know, obviously it's hypothetical now because of the, of the injury he suffered, but I'm, I'm sure if you asked Harry Kane, um, it would be quite a short conversation, you know, who who he would want to play as England's right back and who, who was going to produce the best service to him. Um. So, so yeah, I'm sure, you know, I suppose as it's turned out, you know, it's probably good news for Liverpool. The fact that Trent gets a proper break this summer, you know, it's, it was a nasty injury, but not a really serious one. He should be back for the you know early on in pre-season training. But um, yeah, you know, going forward, who knows what's going to happen with, with Southgate's future and all the rest of it. But I, I, yeah, I do, I do struggle to get my head around the idea that he doesn't seem to fully appreciate what he's got with Trent.
2: Do you know what's also hilarious? Just to add on to your point, James. I don't think Southgate just knows what fullbacks he wants to play, like even to this point. He changes the fullbacks every single game and even yeah. the rumor team for today is apparently Trippier um and I think
0: Walker's going to be a wing back um I think Walker's going to play as one of the three I think he's going to play in a back three yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um yeah just you know, a lot of chopping and changing and again I think even that to me smacks of him changing because he's worried about the opposition rather than you know, sure rather than backing your own strengths to be better yeah. than them it's like this, you know this kind of worry about well we we need to we need to negate this and we need to do that and it's like well, can you not just play your best team and like you know because to, to me england's best the only only hope really in this talk i think england's got some really really good attacking players yet he just seems reluctant to to put his faith in them
3: yeah, it's, a, it's a similar situation that you find with, with with Grealish as well. I mean, to, yeah. to, I mean Trent. Trent I think the, the, the situation surrounding Trent and Grealish is, is fairly similar. They're both players that can make an impact in an instant. But for some reason, he seems to have some hesitation towards towards playing both of them. Uh, sorry, my Yeah,
0: go. I think I think we saw that with like Grealish. You know, the, the Czech Republic game was obviously nothing to write home about, but. You know, the the one moment of quality really was was that ball in that, that 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 made the goal, and then but afterwards, all the whispers from the England camp seemed to be all, oh, you know, Southgate wasn't convinced about his work off the ball, and and it's like, well, okay, you know, like you know, I, I can understand that to an extent, but that's what you know, you've got you've got Rice and Phillips there to you know to to, to do that work, you know, I don't, I just don't think other countries think the same way about. You know their their top. You know, rather than again, it's it comes back to like being obsessed and worrying about what players don't do, rather than looking at what they what they can do. And um, yeah, if if the rumored team that's going around is right for tonight, then you know the fact there's you no know, no Foden, no Grealish. Obviously, Mount's probably slightly easier to get your head around because they've obviously missed a week's training. But um, yeah, it does seem odd to me.
1: It does, James, and and I I think the fact that we don't he doesn't use the full to attack is an, is an odd one when he does play like Rice and Phillips in midfield because where does the creativity come from? So with Liverpool, we know that our midfield performs a particular function in the team. And actually you could use the fullbacks in a similar way to the way we used them where they provide lots of kind of creativity. And that's why overlooking Trent was just so weird because Trent is the, the most creative fullback in the world one of the most creative players in the world and England do lack creativity like going forward now even when they do have the kind of Mount Smith team they still look like they struggle a bit to kind of create chances and get the the ball quickly up the field to to Harry Kane and Sterling so it is weird again tonight's game I really just don't see how that's going to be an entertaining game because I just think that both teams are I think Germany will control most of the game but I think England are going to the game plan is going to be they're going to try and hit Germany in the counter-attack and I just don't see England really being convinced on a counter-attack without the kind of quality at full and without the likes of Grealish or I mean Mounts obviously is understandable without Grealish, Foden etc to kind of maybe add some creative impetus.
3: No I completely, completely agree Mike and it, again it's just it's just an odd one because we know international tournaments they are the tournaments of full really when you see the deep influence that they've had on games. I mean all you've got to do, do is look look at uh, Dumfries from, from from the Netherlands and see him popping up all over the pitch. Uh, and again, the same with uh, with England's opponent tonight with Robin Gosens, who's been absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal there too. Uh, do a quick round, Robin, before we kind of jump onto some Liverpool-related business. So, you know, um, with the allure of tournament football, we all get enamoured with you know certain players who think, oh yeah, this, this guy would do quite well for Liverpool. So um, are, are there any kind of Liverpool-linked players specifically that have caught your eye and solidified why they would be linked to the club. Fahi, I'm going to let you uh, let you go first on this one. Honestly, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be bad, but I, I've not been too impressed
2: to the point where I'm like, oh, you know what this this link makes complete sense. I said Marlin and Isaac um, Isaac last week, and, and yeah, they have impressed to an extent, but not to the level where I think, okay, we should definitely go out and get them. Um, I don't think there's been a standout performer like that as of yet. You know, like usually in tournament football, there's one where you're like, wow, I've not really heard of him before. Like, he's definitely the next one to break through. I've not seen that as of yet.
3: I think that's fair. And I think that's a bit of a curse of the internet age, in all honesty, because, you know, when like back in the day you come, you, you get your sticker book, you put all the stickers in your book and you say, okay, be on the lookout for this guy, and you kind of watch him when you get introduced to that person throughout the football tournament. So it's a little bit, a little bit depressing from that end. But you know, you get but that, more information. In
2: Youth as well. Like in O2, you were hearing about El Youth and Gibril Sita. I remember an eleven year old kid. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see these guys play. And you know, they impressed. And then look what ended up happening.
3: Especially that was me with that was me with Sidney Kovu. I'll never forget that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> James, how about you? Is there anyone that you've you've looked at and you thought? I can see why you know why why they'd definitely be interested in this player.
0: No, I, I I agree. Really, there hasn't been anyone that's like absolutely leapt out of that. And I think also probably like for some of those names mentioned then that we probably had our fingers burnt in the past from reading too much into into what someone might do at a major tournament. And I think and obviously the the homework that goes into to sign-ins now means I don't think I don't think whatever happened in these Euros was going to massively sway. Um, a club like Liverpool, one way or the other. I was, you know, I'm old enough to remember Italia '90 and remember Toto Scalacci you know, lighting, lighting that uh, that tournament up. And I think, I think he, I think he, Ben, you know, he was like, he was like the, you know, one of the absolute stars of the tournament. Yet, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not sure whether he, he hardly played or even scored again for Italy after that yeah. after that World Cup. But I think you're right. Now in this, you know, in the internet age with YouTube and all the rest of it, it's so you just don't really get. You know, those players like that just come out of nowhere to, to suddenly, you know, to like, I think we, we almost watch too much football now, don't we? When we're, we're aware of so many, so many players that it's, it's difficult for someone to just, just come out of nowhere.
3: No, I, I I completely agree, and it is just the curse of international football, really. I mean, Thomas the is one that my dad always used up as to say, just don't get brought in by the allure <laughs> of certain footballers because it will end up it will end up badly. Mike, how about you? I know you 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 have a wider net of European um, expertise than my, myself for sure. So I know you you've got a few flavors that you like to look at. Has anyone kind of like really solidified them for yourself from this tournament?
1: I think I'd echo what like, James and Fire have said, really, and that there hasn't been a standout star or anyone that's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Partly because I'd seen some of the plays we were linked to before. I'd, I'd seen them before and thought, OK, I can see why we're linked to them. But I guess, m- is it Malin? Is that how you pronounce it? Malin's the one I I, I saw a lot. I'd seen a lot more of this tournament. I thought, yeah, you can definitely see why Liverpool are linked to him. Like He's really quick, quite good in the ball, uses the ball quite well, seems intelligent. Seems like there is a, a player in there, but also Isak for me, because I think we've we been linked to a lot of centre forwards and he's the one of the centre forwards that we linked to that's the most impressive, both before the tournament and obviously during the tournament now. So, yeah, I, I'd echo what, what Fire and James have said in that there's no one that stood out and been like, oh, this is amazing, but it's more like, oh, I can understand why Liverpool are linked to these players more now, even even more so now.
3: Fair point. Um, I think the, the the internet is abuzz with Renato Sanchez, sign Renato Sanchez after yeah. a few good games. But, uh, but as we said yesterday, omelette du fravage tax would be in <laughs> certain aspects. Um, they
2: absolutely, they used to crap on his name because because of his spell at Swansea. And now because of three yeah. games in the, Euro, in the Euros, they're like, oh, he's the album
3: replacement. It, it just shows you how fickle football fans are nowadays. It, it honestly does. Yeah. Um, I mean, as, as as fickle football fans ourselves, I think we can relate to that in certain aspects as well. Um, <laughs> um, let's move on to, uh, you know, one of the conversations that he's always going to dominate Liverpool and it is in terms of outgoings. But before we do kind of kick start, James, you've managed to pick up the name Bad News Pierce over the past few years. I, I think, <laughs> I, I, I actually don't think that's very fair in all honesty because you're just doing your job and you know, you're know you just reporting on all the news you, you hear. But I want to kind of like, talk about it in the past few years you know as football transfers and news kind of <laughs> dominate this new cycle that we have on social media how do you find it covering Liverpool in this modern day era of football reporting?
0: Yeah I think I think the transfer window stuff definitely the least enjoyable part of the job um, <laughs> because I think and, and it, it just seems to get worse and worse every year in terms of how many ridiculous rumours do the rounds I think and that's the thing it's never been easier now. To, for rumors to gather pace because you know it's it you know things get you know retweeted and and and, and copied and pasted on social media and you know and, and you see this I, 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 was, I saw it again earlier on before you get this thing now where you might get like a, a Portuguese publication say you know Liverpool of Liverpool of placed a bid for such and such and then then it gets repeated and repeat you know you know you know this 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 this, this publication in Portugal is saying this then I mean, when you actually find the original report, they're quoting someone else in France. And then you go to that one and they're quoting someone else in Italy. And it's like and then you're thinking, well haven't there, how would how would like, you know, Corriere de la Sport in Italy or something I have the inside track on like a Portuguese player going to England who's never played in Italy. And then you're like, actually they don't. It's just a figment of someone's imagination. And so it's <laughs> so you do, you know, some of the, some of the rumors you just know there's there's not even any point checking out because they're just you know, absolutely ludicrous. But then, yeah, there's a lot of other rumors that you do check out, and obviously, whether it's speaking to people you know at different levels at the club or uh, agents and all the rest of it to try and try and kind of separate the the, the fact from the fiction. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a strange one because it probably doesn't happen so much now because I think when I was at the Echo, probably every little thing represented a story where where obviously probably. Now, in what I do for the athletic, probably uh, there's, there's probably a bit of a different threshold. But um, but yeah, it used to be, you know, people would obviously, you know, beyond your case. Is there any truth in this? Is there any truth in this? And um, and of course, if you give them the answer they don't want to know, <laughs> then you just get abuse and you get told well, you know nothing. You know that, you know, you know, you either want to know the answer or you don't. Um, so, yeah, that's I think that's one thing people. People only want to hear what they want to hear, don't they? So, you know, it's um, so sometimes you just think, you know what, it's just not even worth the worth the hassle of. You know, I think probably an example would be at the weekend. I had lots of people asking what, you know, it, 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 there was reports saying that Liverpool had submitted a £35 million bid for kingsley Coman, And, you know, it's I was you know, told absolutely 100 percent that's wrong. But you're like, well, you know, is there any, like, what? you know, this, it, it, it didn't come from anywhere reliable in the first place. Not that many people are talking about it. So you just think, you know, it's, that's not really a story, just that a transfer rumor that came from somewhere wasn't actually true. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, I think at the moment it's, you know, it's, it's been very quiet now for a few weeks. I don't think it's any great secret that, that Liverpool need to generate funds from sales. And I think, and a bit like last summer, you know, at the moment, there's a big question mark in terms of how much money they can actually generate because um, you know, it's it's been a massive strength, hasn't it, of of what Michael Edwards has done in recent years in terms of not only have Liverpool bought really cleverly, but they've they've managed to secure, you know, amazing fees for, you know, fringe players who didn't really have a future at the club. And I think that challenge has definitely been made a hell of a lot more difficult due to the pandemic because, you know, you take the say the Bournemouth example of how much they gave Liverpool for Solanke and Jordan Ibe and and Brad Smith. And I just I just don't think there's that same kind of money sloshing around in in kind of this kind of like pandemic affected period. So um so yeah, it's going to be going to be intriguing to see what happens. Um, but I think I think similarly to last year, where obviously it was you know later on in the window when Liverpool brought in Jota and Tiago, it um. It, at the moment, it looks to me like you know it, it's probably going to be a, a, a similar kind of story.
3: No, I think that's that, that's really interesting, and obviously one of the questions we were we were going to discuss today was kind of, you know, that 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 sell to buy model that you know Liverpool do have in certain aspects of, of their transfer policy, but and it's like you said, James, in, in the validity of that model operating within this COVID market, does that kind of like really throw it askew a, a because? I mean, when you look at kind of the valuations for the guys such as, you know, Harry Wilson and, you know, even George shakiri to an extent, the valuation of those players, is it's really hard to knock down. Obviously, Michael Edwards drives a very hard bargain. You, you know, you wouldn't want to see him uh, on Bargain Hunters if you were looking to thug mm-hmm. something there the other because he will know it's true worth. Um, but do you think it's going to be even more difficult under these current circumstances to kind of get the maximum amount of, uh, of, of currency needed to, to kind of part with Harry Wilson? And again, kind of similar to Joan Shakiri as well.
0: Yeah, and I think you probably throw like Marco Gruic into that mix as well in terms of players that ideally they probably would be looking at doing permanent deals for. But it's it's that balancing act, isn't it, really? Between you want to maximize what you can get for them. But I think there probably also has to be a dose of realism. I think you know, rewind a year and and Liverpool turned down, I think it was twelve million off Burnley for for Harry Wilson, and they were holding out for kind of nearer fifteen and and you think now well. You know, maybe, maybe that was a deal that, in hindsight, they probably probably should have done. And um, because I think, yeah, it's probably not any. I think they probably thought that, obviously, like everyone, we probably thought we'd be in a much different position in terms of the pandemic and that things would have recovered a lot more than they have done. But so I, I think that was why it was interesting last week that you know it, it became pr- pretty clear that suddenly they were open to the idea of selling Nico Williams and and Nat Phillips, and I, and I think you know I, I, and i think that's related to the fact that you know probably those two players i, I don't think they if, if i think if you made a list of who liverpool were looking to offload i don't think either of those two players would be massively near the top i think i think it's just probably the realization that their value probably isn't going to be much higher ever than it probably will be this summer you know for different reasons with i know I know, obviously, things didn't go great for Nico in the in the round of sixteen game on the on the weekend, but you know he has still represented his country in a in a major tournament. And the fact that he's behind Trent in the pecking order and probably wouldn't play much next season, you're probably not going to have a situation where his value is enhanced. So, um, you know, it's a fair bit of interest there. And the same with Nat Phillips, you know, of course, having you know excelled and exceeded everyone's expectations in the last few months of the season. You think you know, I'm sure Liverpool are thinking, well, hang on a minute. You know, realistically, with Van Dyke, Gomez, Matic coming back, just spent 35 million on Kanate. so you're looking at Phillips being probably fifth choice. And, um, so yeah, I think if you could get anything close to the 15 million pound valuation, then you know, I, I can see the business sense in that, but, um, but I think I think a lot of that is because at the moment, you know, it's it's not massively easy to shift wilson and gruich and a and shakiri and players like that for the for the fees that you'd want to you'd want to get for them i mean you know a probably the perfect example of that because you know he's he's still at a decent age you still you still look at a and that's what i do and think you know he's got all the tools you'd want in a center forward yet he can be so infuriating to watch at times and and and, and there's no doubt that he's his value has declined because he's you know, he's hardly played, has he? And you know, with hindsight, you'd probably say the best time to sell Rigi would have been after the Champions League final. Now, to be honest, I I can't for a minute claim that I, I thought that was the right thing to do at the time, but obviously, you know, when you if you, if you had a Crystal Ball, it would have been because you know his stock would have been massively high, and and there would have been a a, a big queue of clubs looking to looking to take him, but. You know, he has lost his way. And now and now you're in that difficult position of you know, because he was given a big, you know, a new new contract, you know, the, who's willing to pay, you know, a really decent fee and take his wages as well. Um, so I think you know, when it's when it's tricky to sell players like that, that's probably why then Liverpool then are looking at people like Nico and Nat Phillips and thinking, well, actually, you know, maybe this is the right time to, to cash in. And then similar to last summer, I guess, when you know, Rian Brewster and Kajana Hoover went. You know, it was. Um, you know, I think I think you'd have to say twelve months on that both of those deals look, look like very good ones for Liverpool. Yeah,
3: no, I completely agree, uh, Michael. Come to you. Um, obviously, as James mentioned there, kind Con- of Williams and Nat Phillips, um, Cashner, and them at this current moment in time will be at the peak of their value. Uh, Nat, um, more more so than Neko Williams. Do, do you think if these these players leave, do Liverpool leave themselves a bit open in terms of? The squad depth, especially at right
1: back. I would say sort of right back. I think at centre back is less of an issue, just because you have Konate, Van Dijk, Gomez, Ben Davies. You'd imagine will play more of a role this season, but only only God knows at this point. I, mean, I, I don't even know if he's like turned up to to, to training and or whatever. But is he real? Yeah, That's what we need. to Is learn. he real? He he literally could just be a figment of our imaginations. Like he's just like. <laughs> It doesn't exist, but uh, no, I, I do think it'd be dangerous to go into the, the season with just Trent as the only right-back and, and the idea of Joe Gomez is recovering from a serious injury. Having to fill in a right-back just doesn't seem practical to me because Trent, I think, needs to play less games than he has been playing over the last two seasons. It's very clear, like he's picked up a few a few injuries in the last, the last two years, partly because he's playing too much football and it'd be nice to have his minutes, you know, managed a lot more moving forward. So, I would be very worried if we go into this season with Trent as the only right-back option and Necker Williams have moved on somewhere. Look, I understand the, the rationale instead selling Necker Williams, I think his value is clearly as high as it ever will be for Liverpool. I think he's a Premier League standard player, probably not a Liverpool player, but a Premier League standard player. So it might be best for all parties if he moved on. But I'd only be happy for that deal to happen if there's a guarantee that Liverpool have uh, a, a backup right-back lined up. Maybe someone in a mode a player who's coming from another league who's an international, who's not going to cost too much money. But it would be reckless because we saw what happened at centre-back, right? We saw what happened at centre-back when we gambled and, and, and it really went to the season with, with three centre-backs and with Fabinho as, as the backup. Look, at the time, I don't think many people were, like, complaining. I'm sure there were some people that mentioned it, but it wasn't, like, a obviously a terrible decision. But we we saw how it played out and, and, and what happened in the season. So, essentially, just don't put yourself in, in a precarious position where you are having to play Trent too much and he picks up an injury because, again, Trent is so important to the side and the way we operate. And yes, the right-back, we sign a backup right-back, a sign wouldn't be as good as him, but it still would be nice to have a, a right-back come in for Trent if, if Trent's not available, if you want to rest Trent.
3: Completely agree. And Fati, I'll come to you. It was one of the things that we briefly just on a little bit last week. Um, would you be looking to kind of bring someone in? Obviously, realistically, you say you want someone to play 10, 15 games a season, um, not even starters in terms of subs and whatnot, would you be looking to bring someone in, in a similar Ragnar Clavin mould where it's someone who can do a bit a, a bit of, a, you know, obviously primarily a right-back, but do certain bits in other aspects of the pitch as well. So, you know, can, could potentially play a little bit of centre-back uh, or play a little bit higher up if needs be.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think the problem us as Liverpool have, and I think sometimes fans don't kind of take this into consideration, is we're performing at such a high level and we expect the team to perform at such a high level every single week, you then expect your backup to a world-class right-pack to also be very good, yet except only playing 10 games a season. Yeah. Sadly, that's not possible. It's only possible in FIFA and Football Manager. In real life, that's not possible. You're not going to be able to get that kind of quality in. So... Where do you draw the line? How do you make it work? And I, ultimately, I think what you're suggesting is the best way. Getting a utility player, someone that can cover a number of positions um, to a competent standard, is probably the best way to go. Um, who that player is, again, I'm not a scout. I don't know. I don't get paid the money to do that. But, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you'd be able to it, get... It'd be,
3: it'd be no Bundesliga players, that's for sure.
2: No, yeah. For me, no Bundesliga players right now after certain players have let me down. Um but, but yeah, I, finding a, a, a dedicated right back, I think, is going to be super hard, especially one with good, um, especially one to a good standard that's willing to sit on the bench for 40 games a season and only play 10. So utility play is definitely the best way to go, in my opinion.
3: I totally agree. I think you, you, you're even looking at someone who's a bit of an established veteran kind of in that mould. Uh, or someone. Uh, I kind of look back at it at, at the time, it's sort of like a, like a Ryan Sessignon kind of player who can do a little bit as you know, as a full back, but can also play a little bit higher at the pitch and mm. develop it from there. Um, just, just one quick one before we do move on to potential incomings. Um, we, I think we talk about this footballer more than most people, and he doesn't actually play that many games. The mysterious case of Nabi Kaita. <laughs> quick round robin, do, do we all see next season very much as last chance saloon territory for Nabi? Uh, J- James, I'll, I'll, I'll let you kick off the conversation for this.
0: Um, <laughs> You know what, I was thinking about this the other day. I think I can probably just find my piece I wrote on Naby Cater before last season <laughs> uh, before last season and just tweak a couple of, of, of things and, and put it out again in August, I think. Because um, yeah, I mean, I d- I mean it did feel like last season was make or break for him, yet what I don't think we're any of the wiser, are we, after last season? It was I think, you know, w- again we saw flashes of brilliance for him. You know, the again that feeling of yes, finally. You know, the, the shackles have been broken. He, you know, he's now showing his true colours. Then we saw, you know, more injury problems, you know, not not being able to put together a run of games. You know, the the surprise of him being chucked in away to Real Madrid and then really struggling and obviously suffering the embarrassment of, of being substituted before half-time in the way that he was. But um, yeah, I, I, again, it kind of like goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of that, that dilemma of at what point do you just go, you know, enough's enough. This is just not going to happen, you know, it, You know it, because, you know, he would, you know, if it doesn't happen for him, and of course the clock is ticking, you know, he, re- he would really be the first, you know, big money signing that, that Liverpool have ever made on the clock that hasn't come off. Because, you know, of course, I think if you were trying to, you know, lots of people say, well, just cut your losses and get rid. Well, how much would Liverpool get for Naby Keita this summer? You know, I, I mean, I, you know, if you could get twenty million, I'd be surprised. Maybe, maybe you could, um, but I don't think there's any guarantees in this in this market. So you, you're talking about, you know, only a th- only, what was it, fifty two point seven five million they paid for him. So um, yeah, all, all I all I know at this stage is that Liverpool are adamant they're not actively looking to shift him on. I know Cater himself has said that he he wants to stay. He wants to he wants to fight and prove that that he can belatedly become a, a really important part of the team. So, um, so yeah, you, you would have thought this season is is last chance saloon if, if that indeed happens. But, yeah, it's um, I, I think it's very much one of those, with, you know, it's, it's it, I think you almost like you th- you're thinking it might be worth giving it another year because the alternative this summer is just to make such a big loss that would that really make sense?
3: I think there is a little bit of an allure with it as well, where he's obviously been on this fitness regime programme to kind of the strength and conditioning to make himself more durable. So there is a bit of a risk-reward to say, if he can get a few games in, under him this season and some of the old issues do presume and you do want to move him on next year, he could potentially increase his value whilst bringing something else to Liverpool squad. But again, you wouldn't bet your bet your life on it or, or, or you would you would really a bet five on it honestly um given his given his track record so it, it it is a massive shame but it just i think it is what it is at this at this point really um mike Fahy, i think we can both agree last chance saloon
1: yeah 100% like the one thing that keeps me like believing Kato could be a good player is the way the manager speaks about him all the time like the manager's always like so like enthusiastic about how good he is and how he will come good eventually so I always kind of trust Klopp's judgment, but like last season was the season I thought, okay, he ended the the title winning season in amazing form. Probably our best player in those last like t- 10 games or so, the, 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 or the post lockdown period where, where we come back, he's probably the best player. And I thought, okay, he's going to kick on. I mean, he hasn't kicked on and he's spent most of the season now injured. So it really is last chance saloon, but I'm hoping somehow, some way he stays fit and puts together a run of games. Because we know how good he is. That's the... Frustrating thing, like he's a quality player.
2: Not, not going to lie to you, Mike. If I if I spent fifty two million pounds on a midfielder, I also will tell the world how good he is because That's true. That's true. <laughs> I would not want to admit that what I've signed right so, um, yeah, it, I, I'm I'm tired of of, of this storyline. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just, I'm just tired of it. For the past two seasons, I've been moaning about the situation that we've been in with Kate. And again, I don't doubt his ability. Like, It's clear to see. No one he, does. No one he, does. He has the ability to play for Liverpool, but ultimately there's no consistency. He can't stay fit. And also when he is then fit, Klopp does not trust him enough to play him consistently in the team. For that reason, he's not, he's then not able to pick up any form. So, you know, it, it just goes, it goes around in a vicious circle and it, it's, it's just never going to end. So, um, Again, James is right though. You, do you really want to cash out right now and only get 20, 25 mil? I don't think you want to do that. So potentially the risk reward is probably worth giving him another season. But yeah, as a fan, I I, I can't I can't back the situation
3: anymore. I'm I'm very tired of it. <laughs> One million, Robbie. One million. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to <laughs> Liverpool incomings. And, um, James, you, you reported last week that Liverpool, You know, we've been linked to so many midfielders in the past few weeks. Like you said earlier on, those those, those weird rumours that do come up. Uh, I think Ottavio of Porto was one that pops up over the weekend. I was thinking, well, that makes no sense. Um, but one that actually does, in a way, make some sense is uh, one you reported on last week in Aston Villa's Scottish warrior, John McGinn. Can, can you shine a little bit of light kind of on, on that story and you know why um Klopp and, and the analytics team are so it's quite have a quite a keen interest in the player
0: yeah well I think there's there's a couple that we've reported on in the athletic recently in terms of that are, are definitely on Liverpool's radar I think um certainly not certainly no bids or anything like that have gone in or anything remotely imminent but of of course you know the the scouting the recruitment guys are always looking and always drawing up shortlists and 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 changing them as and when and um, yeah, I think you know Klopp is a big admirer of of McGinn. There's no doubt about that. I just I just think, and obviously we know that he, McGinn's got a good relationship with with Andy Robertson. So there's you know there's obviously that link as well. But I, I think the note of caution with that one it is the fact that as we know, when you try and buy off a fellow Premier League club, there's quite often a bit of a Premier League premium. And I think you know certainly my colleague. Greg who does villa for us um said that he'd been told from good good sources at Villa that they wouldn't even think about doing business for like forty five fifty million they were quoting and you just think well I, I just don't see you know unless yeah. unless there's any chance of of knocking that down i don't I don't see that you know being being realistic at that at that kind of money i think the one the one that interests me more is probably. Um, you know Neuhaus from Munchen Gladbach, who um, you know, I wrote about recently, because I think just and, and again, you know, I, I don't think there's any guarantees whatsoever that Liverpool will follow up their interest in him, because you know he did have a release clause that um, I think was about 40 million euros that um, that they decided not to trigger. Now, obviously, Munchen Gladbach didn't qualify for Europe; they had a really disappointing end to the season in the Bundesliga, so. Um, whether he'd be available for more or less after the Euros, I'm not 100 percent sure. But he's um, obviously a very different type of midfielder to Wijnaldum. You know, more more attacking, more creative. Not probably not as I, you know, not not probably not his game to do the defensive side of the game as well as Wijnaldum. But um, but what he does have in common with him is you know, incredibly durable. I think when I was doing some research on the data for that piece, you know, he I think he'd missed a game through injury since 2017, which is just crazy and um, so yeah I think he you know clearly there's a number of names being banded around at the moment I, th- I think I think just you know obviously they're probably more realistic than say you know Tielemans was another one wasn't it that name kept coming up going back a few weeks now and and, and I just think you know uh, you know, say, you know does Klopp like Tielemans you know I'd be absolutely astonished if Klopp didn't like Tielemans who doesn't like him and, you know he's but you know, a, a, again, the, the kind of money you'd be talking to try and prise him away from from Leicester this summer. I, I think that just probably makes other targets a bit more realistic.
3: Very much looking forward to Greg's piece on how Aston Villa is systematically trying to destroy Arsenal this this uh, this this summer, which I'm very much looking forward, looking forward to. But now. Um, <laughs> Neu- Neuhaus is 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 very much a fan favourite. As you probably saw from our reactions, for for me and Mike, we've been a uh, we've been keenly watching him since about ooh, what what would you say, Mike? December, October, something like that.
1: Yeah, like really early <laughs> on this season, like last season, we started watching a, a lot of like Gladbach games, and he's he is really impressive. Like he'd be, I think he'd be a good signing.
3: So that would be one that would really get the really get the old motor going. So hopefully that there's, there's <laughs> something to be done there. But yeah, it is. It, it is. It, obviously, it's, there's definitely no secret that you know they're, probably, they're definitely looking for a midfielder. I mean, we've seen so many names linked. You know, like we talked about earlier, Renato Sanchez, Neuhaus, another one too. Uh, Ryan Gravenberch of Ajax, I've seen come up a few times. You know, you, you, I think if you're looking for someone who can play very much that same, same uh, GD Wine Alden mould as he did in the game against Northern Macedonia, I think he'd be a very good option. You know, still young as well, kind of clay there to be moulded. Uh, but his agent is Mino Raiola, so that would be fun um I think one of the things we've we've all we've all discussed um in in the in the past few months really probably past few years is that it's no secret that we think Liverpool should probably be looking for a, a developing number nine um you know some of us think that, that that player should be you know a bit of a mobile big man others think it should be joseph illich we're not gonna name those people or who they are or reveal their identities but that name was <laughs> banned about once um but, James, for, for you, I know you've written this uh, a fair few times that Liverpool should definitely be looking to try and sign a number nine this summer. What kind of style and what, what kind of striker do you think they should potentially look to bring into the club? Do you think it should become someone in that like kind of Daniel Malin mould where he's a quite a nippy centre-forward, you know, drifts out into the left and, you know, he's quite able within, within, within the parameters of his role? Or do you think it should be kind of like a bit of a... Mobile big man, someone can hold up and bring others into play, kind of like a a Dusan Vlahovic of Fiorentina.
0: No, uh, probably more the 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 man to be able to you know to have a plan B or whatever. But I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think that really works under Klopp. You know, when you think when Klopp first came in, you know, he he inherited. Like if he wanted a plan B, he had Christian Benteke there, didn't he? And I think it became abundantly clear very, very early on that he was just the absolute opposite, really, of what Klopp wanted in a dynamic, quick, you know, uh, expansive attacking game. So um, yeah, I, I I mean, again, I think it's very quiet in terms of you know plausible links, really, with attacking, you know, genuinely attacking players at the moment because. You know, I, I think I think so much hinges on what happens in terms of players going going the other way. I think, you know, I've I've written quite a few times that it just feels like Liverpool have to go and invest in another you know elite attacking figure um, this this season. I have to just excuse me for one second as the dog goes crazy at the postman. The um, the um, but yeah, I just think you know when especially when you look at next season with the Africa Cup of Nations and. And losing Mane and Salah for you know what is it you know up to a month at least. So um, you know Jota was an absolute breath of fresh air, wasn't he, when he came in last season? But you do need you do need uh, another option up there. And I think you know again it goes back to what we kind of said earlier in terms of yeah you need an upgrade on Origi, essentially. You know that 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 makes the biggest sense if you can if you can move Origi on and then obviously put that money towards. Getting getting someone else in because um, so you know I think I think Harvey Elliott probably sometimes gets a bit forgotten in this debate in terms of um, of course he's come back from a you know a really successful loan period at Blackburn and certainly at the moment the plan is to keep Harvey Elliott around next season I think you know I think a final decision on that won't be taken until pre season depends how he does and how much he impresses but I know that's that's his target is to to come back and prove to Klopp that he doesn't need to go anywhere next season. And I think that seems to be the club stance at the moment. So, you know, of course, that then gives you the option of potentially, you know, playing Salah through the middle a bit more or, you know, and, um, you know, and just shifting them around. We know Klopp absolutely loves his, you know, versatile attacking players. But um, but yeah, in terms of a personal opinion, then, yeah, I I just think, you know, despite Firmino pulling it around a bit and actually finishing the season you know, not in not bad form and scoring some important goals in that in, in helping secure Champions League football. I, I just think we saw more than enough over the course of last season to know that, that the days of Firmino being a, you know a guaranteed starter. You know, I, I think you you just have to have another option, and you know the, the reality is he doesn't have a plausible backup at the moment.
3: No, I I, I completely agree. I think someone who you can also bring in there to change the formation up a little bit as well to kind of, if you wanted to move to a 4 2 3, 1, he's there too. But again, it's like you said, if you could bring someone in who is quite versatile and can play it on the wings to shift shallow through the middle would be would also be intriguing as well. So let's move on to a few uh, listener questions that we did have come through. Uh, this one is from uh, Simeon, Simeon Jarrett, a good friend of the pod. Um, he's asking, what, which under-23 or under-18 star is likely to break out in the team next season? And will Curtis Jones be given a bigger role?
0: Uh well the, the latter one first definitely definitely see Curtis Jones having a bigger role to play. Um I think you know he he kicked on really impressively last season. I think it's it's so difficult now the bar set so high in terms of how good you have to be to make it at Liverpool. Um but I think we saw enough from Curtis Jones at you know still such a young age to, to believe that he's capable of continuing to make steps. Um and then yeah, I think. But it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because I was, you know, I wrote a I wrote a big piece on the Athletic this week, actually, with Liam Coyle, who's just been released from Liverpool after twelve years. And you think back a few years, and he was being touted as someone who, you know, could 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 really make the step up. And then, you know, suddenly he's dealt some horrendous battle up with injuries, and and now he's, you know, he's been released and is is, is just signed for Atkinson Stanley. So it's, I think sometimes we kind of forget just how hard it is to, to, to you know, what Trent has done is just ridiculous, absolutely mm-hmm. ridiculous, such a young age to have done what he's done. Um so when I yeah, I think you know I do I do look at you know you, you think of players like, you know, Leighton Clarkson and Jake Kane who, you know, they made really big steps forward last season as well. But if I think if I was looking at the A teams, then the one that like jumps out at me is, is James Balaghizi in terms of um you know w- w- whenever I watch him play, I just think you you've got everything that you could possibly wish to have in a, in a center midfielder and um you know it's, and I'm really excited to see what happens with him and yes he'll need some luck he'll need to stay fit and he'll need to hope that opportunities come his way a bit like what happened with Trent but yeah Balaghese is probably the one that I'm most excited about
3: proper footballer in that under eighteen kind of cup run from last season, he was um he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, actually to be fair, I think the entire team were in all honesty. They're breathtaking to watch at some t- at some points. I uh, made a very good um, we kept making points week in, week out on the pod where you know the Reds weren't playing that well. But you know, just go and watch the under eight, under eighteens play when they're on LFC TV because they are quite a good breath for fresh air. Um next question comes in from in- King Incognito twenty uh, four. and he asks what rotational players uh, that Klopp will actually trust are we looking to target to strengthen the depth of the squad? I guess that's a bit more of a broad question, really. But actually, let, let, let's rephrase that. Do you think, kind of following on from what happened towards the latter end of, of last season, where Klopp was a little bit reluctant to kind of trust his bench or go to his bench, that that'll be one of the key things that Liverpool should look to strengthen within the kind of the next next two seasons or so?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think it will happen automatically as well with the players coming back from injury because I think suddenly when you when you're adding back into that squad van Dijk and gomez and matip and henderson you know that immediately gives you more options and coupled with hopefully a couple of young players really putting their hands up in pre-season of course harvey elliott coming back from from his loan as well so i think that that instantly does improve the depth i think you know in in terms of who else comes in i i, I still i'd be really surprised if liverpool don't sign a center midfielder and another attacking player you know, before before the window shuts, I, I just think it's very difficult to make cast iron predictions at the moment, not knowing who's going to go the other way. And I think um, there's just so much unknown there in terms of you know what they would you know who's available to sell and who they actually can sell and what what kind of fees they can get for them. Because obviously, you know, you you could be shopping in completely different markets if you've got. You know, twenty-five million to spend on a midfield, or whether you've got fifty or sixty million. <laughs>
3: completely, completely agreed, uh, James. Before before we do set off, uh, I just want to quickly ask you about. Um, it looks, it's looking very increasingly that Rafa is going to be the next uh, Everton manager. I just wanted to get your get, get your opinion on that, really.
0: Yeah, do you know what? It's it's really strange, actually. I've been having quite a few conversations with mates about it recently, and it just. You know, he, I think he always did probably did polarise opinion, didn't he? I think in terms of. Um, you know, in terms of his time in charge, and it's and he, and you know it seems to be a real polarisation of opinion now. In terms of you know, I speak to people who people who say you know it's it's a joke and it shouldn't happen, and how can Benitez do it? And it taints his legacy. Um, and then other people that you know say that you know what, it's been eleven years since he managed Liverpool. Um, you know, he, he lives nearby, his family are based nearby. He wants to work, he wants to coach. You know, it's you know that's let's, let's just let him get on with it and i am i'm kind of in the latter camp i gotta be honest i don't i you know i think i think what you have to bear in mind is that benitez you know he would have walked over broken glass to come back to liverpool in twenty twelve when rogers got the job or you know twenty fifteen when Klopp got it but he wasn't he wasn't even it wasn't even in the mix you know, f s g just you know didn't even consider going back um and i think he knows what is he now probably sixty one years of age He's not going to manage Liverpool again, um, so so yeah. I think I think just probably where we're torn. Probably the the Liverpool fan in you is you know sit wherever he's gone. Probably apart from Chelsea, since since he was at Liverpool, I've wished him well. And you think you know you you wanted his Newcastle to do well, um, and he, you know he did a good job there. And, and then obviously you probably become a bit more torn now and think, thinking well, you know I, I still got a lot of admiration for Benitez because it's not just what he did as Liverpool manager, it's the other stuff around it, isn't it? With, like, the, the amazing support he was for the Hillsborough families. And, you know, he, he was a, you know, a class act in that regard. So, um, yeah, it's just the only thing I I fear for him is, you know, I think a lot of Everton fans will just swallow it and, and take it, you know, initially, but I just think it means there's going to be no honeymoon period for him whatsoever because I think, you know, just, the, 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 the 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 minute he has two or three bad results i think suddenly the fact he's a former liverpool manager will will affect the way the in which he's kind of treated and um yeah someone said to me the other day can you imagine if liverpool are a couple of goals up at goodison i think at the back end of november and the away end is chanting benitez's his, his name you know you're going to goodison will go into absolute meltdown i think so it was um yeah it's you know, it's bizarre to think this is going to happen. It looks like, you know, it's obviously not been, I don't think it's been officially confirmed. It certainly hadn't been officially confirmed before we started this pod. But um it looks like it's going to happen. And um it'll be really interesting to see how it pans out.
3: 100%. I actually think you'll get quite stuck into it, to be fair. Because if there's one thing we know about referees, he loves the beef he loves the little bit of the needle yeah. about it so i think he i think you'll really get stuck into it uh, whether he becomes a true I've told you time will yet to yet to see but um james thank you very much for joining us uh, on this pod of course you can find james's all of james's fantastic work over on the athletic have you got anything interesting coming up uh, in the next few weeks
0: yeah 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 i've got a few uh, few interviews in the pipeline and um so yeah it's at the moment it's just a case of uh you know, kind of you're almost on standby waiting to wait waiting for things to move in terms of obviously the transfer market and then yeah, it'll only be a couple of weeks before obviously the Reds are the Reds are back in pre season and then it all it all starts again. So um yeah, just just fingers crossed that when, when, when the serious stuff starts again next season we're we're back to watching Premier League football in, in, in packed out stadiums
3: here here um the annual trip to Tranmere is coming up soon and swiftly um, of course do follow all of James's work over at the athletic um that has been your episode of cop and fracas for this week I've been your host Christian I've been joined by Mike and Fahi as well and of course thank you big thank you for James Pierce for joining us this week until next week we'll see you soon sports social podcast network.